Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace, the United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story Reading. Our Sacred Story Reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the translation that I chose for this is the First Nations Translation. And the reason why I did this, two reasons. One, the First Nations Translation is just a beautiful translation of this text. And I thought it is so fitting and captures so beautifully the essence of what this text is trying to get at. Secondly, this passage, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is so familiar to us that it's easy for us to not actually absorb what it's saying when we hear it in a translation that we're familiar with. So part of me reading it from the First Nations translation is not only is it beautiful, but hopefully it gets us thinking about this passage maybe in a fresh new way. So here's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 from the First Nations translation. All the sacred teachings come from the breath of the Great Spirit, and help us to teach others about Creator's ways. They help us correct wrong thinking and bring lives into balance. They show the good and right way to walk the road of life. In this way, those who walk with the Great Spirit will have everything that is needed to do good things for others. There's this book out there. This book has been in circulation longer than most books. And this book has stories in it. And this book has caused people to wrestle with who they are and what they believe. This book has been the cause of wars. This book has divided communities. This book has divided families. This book has been a source of great tension in much of human history. Now, you would think that if a book is causing so much pain and so much division, it would be maybe necessary to throw that book out. And for some people, that's exactly what they've done. They've thrown away this book and they've turned their back on it. There's a movie called The Book of Eli where this book is kind of the center MacGuffin. It's the central central thing that people are gravitating around. In this movie, The Book of Eli, Denzel Washington plays a character in a post-apocalyptic world where water is a scarce resource, where there's barely anybody left after the 
cataclysmic events that have taken place. And those that are left are vying for power, vying for survival, trying to grasp on to any fragment of their humanity they have left. And there's this book out there that the kind of bad guys of the movie, led by Gary Oldman, they believe that this book holds the key to unlocking control over other people because they've heard that in human history this book has been used to control people and that's what Gary Oldman's character Carnegie wants to do he wants to control the people that are left on planet earth and Denzel Washington he knows that this book is powerful he knows that it's been used that way he knows that it's been abused that way and he too is trying to protect this book and so it's this battle between Denzel's character and Gary Oldman's character as they try to navigate this post-apocalyptic world, figuring out how do they hold this book. Now, the book that we're obviously talking about, whether it's the book of Eli or whether it's my opening, is the Bible. The Bible is this complex and challenging book that has been passed down, handed down, read, um, articulated, researched throughout human history, and it's been a cause of great tension. It's caused wars, it's caused division, it's caused heartbreak, it's caused people to feel included, and it's also caused people to feel excluded. The Bible is a complicated book, and yet we still read it. Like I said, some people have decided to throw it out. Some people have said, "There's an, that's enough, I'm done with this. If this is what is the cause of so much pain and heartache, then I don't want anything to do with it. But we still go back to it, and we still gravitate towards it. There's something about it that is still causing people to go to it. And I think part of the reason that we still go to it, part of the reason why we haven't just thrown it out when it has been potentially the source of so much pain, is that... That's not where it ends. It's not just a source of pain. We know that the story of Scripture, that the Hebrew Scriptures that we often call the Old Testament and the New Testament, these Gospels and these writings, these letters and, and, and the book of Revelation and all of its confusion, we know that there's a story there. We know that there's something that is helping us understand the divine. We know that there's something that's helping us understand our humanity in a deeper way. One of the interesting things when I was working in higher ed is that we studied a lot of different theory, theory about how humans develop, how they grow, how they behave, how they think, um, how they relationally develop, how they spiritually develop. And one of the things that was interesting about student development theory is that a lot of people had different uh, markers or different ways of looking at it, whether it you came from a family of means, or you came from a family that had other college graduates um, that came before you. Uh, you looked at people's extracurricular activities. You looked at their involvements while in school. You looked at the number of classes they were taking. There were so many different markers to try to, to help us understand what creates a successful student both while they're in school and after school. And some researchers in UCLA who are kind of on the cusp of the research and the theory around student development, when they were doing their research, they realized that oftentimes we left out one variable that was really, really important and maybe even at times held the key to someone's success or failure. And it was actually a connection to faith. 
that students that were the most successful, students that seemed to have a higher level of development while they were in school and were prepared well for life after school, were people that didn't just maybe have other graduates that they came from, that they didn't just get involved extracurricularly, they didn't just challenge themselves to harder classes, they didn't take on a more you know, robust major. They were actually people who prayed. They were people who read a sacred text. They were people who engaged in a community of faith. So we know. We know why we go back to the Bible. Because we're spiritual beings. We're not just flesh and blood. We're not just relational. We're not just behavioral. We're not just moralistic. We are spiritual beings. There's something about us that touches the divine. There's something about us that is able to create. There's something about us that can bring about life and can bring about death, and that is spiritual. And as spiritual beings, we must have guidance. We must have a map. We must have a path. And therefore, we turn to something like the Holy Scriptures. We turn to the Bible. We turn to the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Gospel, and we turn to the letters from Paul, and we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be in relationship to God, and what does it mean to be human? And for a lot of human history, for most of human history, the Bible has been not only a source of love and a source of being known and a sense of belonging, but the Bible can be something that divides us. And the LGBTQ plus community is a community that has often been excluded by many who call themselves Christian. The interesting thing is that unlike passages about serving the poor or loving others, there are primarily only six passages that talk about, that maybe talk about, LGBTQ same-sex relationships. And these six passages have been used to exclude the LGBTQ plus community. And so what we're going to be doing over the next five weeks, or the next six weeks, including this week, is we are going to be examining the passages that have often been used to exclude the LGBTQ plus community. And we're calling this series Retrace because we are going to be retracing. We're going to be diving into the hermeneutics, the, the biblical interpretation of these passages. And the reason why I chose 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 as a way of starting is because there are two concepts that I think are really important for us to initially understand as we dive into the Bible, as we dive into this holy scriptures that we use as a guide for our lives and we look to to help us give a sense of meaning and place in the world and understanding of who we are and who we're becoming. And the first is that this sacred scriptures, these sacred teachings are coming from the breath of the Great Spirit, as it says in the First Nations translation, that this is God-breathed, that God breathed into these authors what to say and how to say it. And that idea, that God-breathedness of the Holy Scriptures is both incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful, but that it can also be incredibly harmful. And it's incredibly powerful and it's incredibly beautiful because we want to and we are able to trust that what we are reading is meaningful and it's, it's meant for something. It's not just suggestive. 
It's not just like we're reading Homer's The Iliad or we're reading a textbook on moral ethics. Instead, we are reading something that we are trusting God wants us to know, that it's not just simply any other book, that there is something special and unique about what we are reading. And we hold that very differently than anything else. That when something is God-breathed, we pay attention. And we pay not just a little bit of attention, but we pay a lot of attention. But the danger of it is that when we're talking about a text that was written 2,000 years ago in a language that people in Greece no longer speak, because for many of us, we don't even know that Koine Greek, the Greek of the first century that, that the Bible was written in, is not even the Greek language that's spoken today. So we're talking about a language that is dead, no longer spoken. We're talking uh, about a text that was written in a culture at a time that was 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago. We're talking about stories that have been passed down through oral tradition over and over and over around campfires and bedtime stories and that are getting codified in a certain context and written down for the first time in a certain setting for a certain reason. And we have so much complexity when we try to navigate this. And when we take all of that away and we just say that what it says is God breathes, so therefore pay attention, we can, we can manipulate it for our own ends. And that's why good scholarly work is so important. So I want to really quickly walk through four levels of interpretation. For anyone that was at our uh, Labor Day weekend around the fire pit area discussion, we talked about these. And those four are a literal interpretation that sometimes when we look at this God-breathed scripture, we have to just take the meaning for what's seemingly right on the surface. That when it says, do not murder, we should probably pay attention to that. When it says that we should love our enemies, that we should pay attention to that. That maybe that is what it's saying. Maybe what's on the surface is what it means. A second level of interpretation is the comparative level of interpretation. This is when we dive into a parable or stories or metaphors like um, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, when you hold the Bible out in front of you on a dark night, it doesn't suddenly become a flashlight. It's not actually illuminating the path in front of you. We know that that's meant to be a metaphor, that these scriptures, that the word of God is actually meant to be a guide for us in life. It's meant to help shape us and give us direction, point out where we shouldn't go and where we should go, what trajectory we don't want to be on, what trajectory we should be on. The parables of Jesus, they invite us to question. They invite us to wrestle. Well, who am I in this parable? Am I maybe this person in one setting and this person in another? Am I the person that's this or that? And so these parables and these stories and these metaphors, they invite us to derive meaning because we are making a comparison between us and what's being talked about. The third level of interpretation, and this is the one that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about during the series is a deeper level of interpretation where we look at the historical context, the authorship, translation issues, the circumstances in which the author was writing or to whom the author was writing, the connection to other passages of scripture. For instance, when we talk about next week the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of Sodom, does the Bible elsewhere talk about Sodom and Gomorrah? And Maybe surprisingly, but probably unsurprisingly, it actually does talk frequently about Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened there and why it happened. And so we can actually look to other passages of Scripture in order to understand some that may be confusing to us. 
And then the final level of interpretation is the hidden level. And we're probably not going to spend too much time talking about this one or diving into this when it comes to these passages. But sometimes the hidden idea is when we see a number in Scripture, when we see um, a, 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 the end of a story ending in a way that we didn't expect, we might need to wonder and ask questions like, why is that number used? Why did the author say 40 or 3 or 7? or six, or why did the story end that way and not that way? Because sometimes in the stories that we read in Scripture, they end a particular way, and then when one doesn't, we should ask the question, well, why did the author end this one differently from the rest? And so sometimes there's a hidden meaning or a better question that we could be asking as we navigate Scripture. So this God-breathed book, this God-breathed collection of histories and stories and metaphors and parables and letters, uh, this beautiful God-breathedness is really important to hold carefully. And let me just take an opportunity for a second to say that throughout this study, throughout these five weeks, and throughout all of the sermons that I ever preach, let me just remind everyone that what I say is not the last thing that should be said. I hope that what I say maybe starts a conversation, but most often, hopefully, it's just the continuation of a conversation that's already going on. So throughout this series where we are retracing these six passages that have often been used to harm the LGBTQ plus community or to exclude that community, let me just say that what where I land on this isn't the only place that people land or the only place that people in our community should land. That this is where I've wrestled and this is where I've ask questions, and this is where I find myself. This is the best scholarly work that I've done up until now. This is the best listening I've done up until now. This is the best wrestling I've done up until now. But I'm open, as I always want to be, to hearing others' perspectives and to hearing others' interpretation and how God is speaking uh, to them through these words and through these texts. And so I hope that I'm not the last word on this, but I hope I'm I'm the continuation of a conversation that we need to have. The second concept outside of the God-breathedness of these scriptures is that they are useful. And now for that, let me just point us to an NRSV translation of this, one that may be more familiar to us. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Now, when I was brought up, it was clear that Scripture was inspired by God. It was God-breathed. Like That was really foundational to my faith development, was that this should be listened to. And the reason it was to be listened to is that it was useful for teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training in righteousness. Those are all really beautiful things. They're all meaningful things. They're all part of the, the sanctification work the, the sanctifying grace of becoming more like Christ, that we have to be taught, we have to be reproofed, we have to be corrected, we need to be trained up in what righteous or, or healthy living should look like. These are all necessary, useful things for understanding our faith more dynamically. But the problem is that too often we stopped right there. That we said this is a God-breathed thing, and it's useful for teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now the danger, the danger is according to who, right? Well, according to whose teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training am I to understand this is useful for? Because so often, it's been the people in power. 
So often it's been the people in authority. So often it's been the institution. So often it's just been the most dominant voice that is basically using this verse, verse 16, that it's a God-breathed scripture and it's useful for teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training into what I believe, into what I say. This can be a very dangerous passage because someone can say, I'm going to teach you and reproof you and correct you and train you to be just like me, to understand scripture just like I do. And that's where it can get dangerous. That's where we can use scripture for our ends, not for God's ends. That's where we use scripture for what we want and to make us righteous as opposed to the way God would see scripture used. So the question becomes, well, if it's useful, yes, it might be useful for training, reproofing, correcting, and training in righteousness, but what else is it really useful for? And that's where we actually need to jump to verse 17, because it says, so that, so that. Anytime you see a so that in scripture, you should pay attention, because the so that is pointing us to the real meaning, the real end, the real conclusion of what this is all about. So yes, scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and reproofing, correcting and training in righteousness. But why? Why is it all of those things? So that the person of God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. This isn't about being like me. This isn't about being like the authority or the institution. This isn't about being like the most senior person in the group who acts and looks like they have it all together. No, this is so that we're equipped for every good work. That's why we read this. That's why we study. That's why we dive in. And let me offer an extension. If where we land with this sacred text, if where we land in our interpretation, whether it's a surface level one, whether it's a little bit deeper, whether it's comparative or hidden, if we land in a place that isn't equipping us for good work, if it's not equipping us to be good news, if it's not equipping us to be poured out for others, to serve and to love, then we've probably not done it right. We've probably taught the wrong thing. We've probably reproofed the wrong thing. We've probably corrected in the wrong way. We've probably trained up in the wrong behaviors. Because if we're not equipped for good work, if we're not good news to the world, and not just good news to those in power, not just good news for those that look like us, but if we're not good news for everyone, if we're not good news for the poor and the outcast, if we're not good news for the LGBTQ plus community, if we're not good news to the people who don't look like us, then it's not good news. It's not good work. Because this God-breathed, useful scripture is meant to equip us for good work. I started out by asking the question, or by laying a picture of this book that has caused division and pain and hardship, this book that has caused division and it's caused families to fracture, it's caused denominations to split, but yet we still cling to that book because it is God-breathed and it is useful for helping us understand every good work that we're to be doing. There's also this thing out there. There's this, there's this feeling, there's this verb, there's this concept that has 
caused people to go to wars. It's caused parents to stay up late at night. It's caused people's hearts to be absolutely devastated when they lose someone close to them. It's caused teenagers to feel like they'll never be put back together again when they break up with someone for the first time. We, we've got this idea, this concept, this thing in the air that has caused pain, insurmountable pain. And that thing is love. Love causes us to do the most wild things. Love causes us to fight. It causes us to cry. It causes us to hurt. And yet love is why we're here. Love is what brought us to this place. Love is what birthed us. Love is what animates us. Love is what moves us. Love is what carries us. Love is what gives us hope and gives us wings. Love is why we keep going. And so just like we don't throw the scriptures out just because it's been misused, we don't throw out love just because it can cause pain. And so this God-breathed, useful scripture, it's about love. It's equipping us to be love. And so just like we won't throw out the scriptures, we won't throw out love. We will dive into the scriptures. We will retrace the scriptures. We will examine and interpret, and we will wrestle, and we will dance with the scriptures for the sake of love. Let's pray. God of love, God who inspired beautiful writings, God who has called us to wrestle with this word, be with us. Help us to wrestle well, to examine well, to question well, but not so that we're right and someone else is wrong, not so that we have the better argument than them, not because we want to be more holy or high and mighty, but so that we can be equipped to do good work, so that we can be equipped to love. May we be love. couple quick announcements coming up for our community. September 17th, next Sunday, is a big Sunday. Starting off, we have Rally Sunday happening during the service at 10 a.m. So come for the Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. And partway through, we're going to pause everything, put on some music, and there'll be tables all around the sanctuary, and you can find a way to get connected. The best way to be a part of a community, the best way to feel a sense of belonging is to get involved. And so we want to encourage everyone to find an area to serve, to invest, to be a part of, and to join our community in a meaningful way. So make sure you are at the service next Sunday on the 17th for Rally Sunday. And then later that evening, come back. We're going to be doing our family game night. This is our kind of fall launch for family game night. Bring a side to share. We'll have some pizza and some desserts. Maybe some hot dogs if it's nice. We'll go grill outside. Whatever it is, we'll have it. And we will be joining together as a church family. And so come to Family Game Night 5 p.m. on September 17th. And then if you are in middle school or high school, we want you to stick around for Encore, our youth group, which will be happening from 7 to 8.30 p.m. on September 17th. And we are going to be led for the first time by our new Youth and Family Ministries Coordinator, Katie Johnson. So join Katie as they lead our Encore program 
and we are excited for that to take off. Finally, if you are curious about becoming a member of our community, to become a member of the United Methodist Church, and specifically at Peace, United Methodist Community, we are going to be offering some membership classes starting on September 24th. There'll be two classes, and then we will take our membership vows on October 15th during the 10 a.m. service um, that Sunday. So check out the Tuesday news, our newsletter, for more information about becoming a member. We'll have information in there, and you'll be able to sign up, come to the classes, take the vows, and then you'll be a member of our community and a member of the United Methodist Church. That's all the announcements we got. We look forward to much more coming up this fall. Thanks for joining us at Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.